Hello, and welcome to episode 200 of Flags Fly Forever, a baseball perspectives podcast. I'm your producer, Samuel Hale, and you can probably tell something is different since normally host Mike Gianella does this part. Due to some real-life scheduling conflicts, the gang wasn't able to get together for a brand new episode this week. It happens, it happens, we are really sorry about it. Sometimes that's just the way life goes. However, we didn't want to leave you empty-handed. After all, it is episode 200. As the show's producer, I wanted to give you all something special, something a little different. Initially... That looked like it was going to be a best-of episode, where I found some stuff from the highest-rated episodes in the show's history, creating a bit of a super show. However, I took a look at the actual metrics, and it turns out all the, the biggest shows that we've done are more recent ones. It's stuff you've heard in the last few weeks and months. So, once that was the case, I decided to look a little differently. So I went back into the vault, and I looked for the episodes that didn't get the most love, that have some of the lowest download rates in our history. And I found a pair of them that both came in at 13 downloads. So for episode 200 today, we're going to create a super show to bring some exposure, to lift up a couple shows that didn't quite get their due whenever they had the chance. So on today's episode, you'll be hearing the first half of episode 116, the Trey Turner question, and the second half of episode 117, a game of concern and illusion. Again, both of those only had 13 downloads, so we need to get those numbers up this week. we got to give them some sunshine, some TLC, some love. Show them that they are appreciated, that they matter. In this episode, you'll hear Mike. You'll also hear the original co-host and head honcho of BP, Brett Sayer. You'll also hear the original producer, George Bissell, talking you through these topics that are right around the time of January 2017, so getting you ready for the season two years ago. So I hope you enjoy that, and at the end of the show, I'll be back to walk you through what the next couple of weeks are going to look like here on Flag fly forever before we get to that however there was something that happened in baseball this week that got a lot of attention on social media and it drew the attention of both the co-host and myself and we thought we wanted to do something a little special with it so before we get to the meat and potatoes of this one let us all enjoy a dramatic reading of the major league baseball umpires association facebook post from tuesday afternoon june 18th Manny Machado was suspended one game for contact to an umpire during an argument over balls and strikes while violently throwing his bat against the backstop with absolutely no regard for anyone's safety. One game. One single game. What kind of precedent is that setting? It is not okay to throw a temper tantrum and physically touch someone of authority just because you don't agree. Violence in all workplaces is not tolerated Period. Offenders are made examples of by being dealt with severely, not just for the good of all the employees, but for the good of the company itself. A person is given and granted a level of protection from abusive behavior in any workplace. A one-game suspension for this type of behavior is a slap in the face of all umpires and a disgrace to the game itself. Physical contact simply cannot be tolerated and the penalties need to be swift and harsh. What does this teach the MLB's immense and ongoing influential youth movement trying to attract young fans to the game? Major League Baseball has to always lead by example in all cases of violent behavior on and off the field. With that being said, the MLB UA is extraordinarily disappointed in Major League Baseball and its disciplinary inaction handed down to Manny Machado. So we're going to talk second base on today's show. We have so many players to get to, uh, but I do want to remind everybody, you can follow us on Twitter. Brett has a new handle. He is at Brett Sayer BP. Mike is at Mike Gianella, and I am at George Bissell. You can subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. we got several uh, really great reviews. If we have time, I'll read one or two of those later on in the show. Don't forget to buy the Baseball Prospectus 2017 Annual. It is available on Amazon. Uh, We have Pitching Week going on at the site right now. So if you subscribe to Baseball Prospectus, you can read uh, a couple really great articles on pitch tunneling, our new metric called Strikes Above Average, Uh, Harry Pavlidis, Jonathan Judge, and Jeff Long have really done a great job with all of that and the BP Stats team. Uh, And also, finally, our Fantasy Positional Series rolls on. We're hitting second base. This week, we have 20 articles up on the site right now. So 
a lot going on at Baseball Prospectus. It's a great time uh, to subscribe, and you can get all of your alternative facts there. So, uh, second base, guys. Let's start off with the five-star tier and Jose Altuve. He's the only member of it. Last year, he hit 338, a career-high 24 home runs, 30 steals. The guy really just, just does it all. And, Mike, he's the rare example of a guy who's just gotten better year after year. And I don't know what else we can say at this point about him. He's firmly in the top five in redraft. Yeah, he I, and, you know, you could make a case for, for taking him – you know, I wouldn't take him ahead of Trout, but you could make a case for taking him second or third. Like he, he's that good. Uh, the, the batting average, you, you know, it's going to be there and it's going to be excellent. I, I don't like to rely on that category normally from players because there's some fluctuation. And well, I should get into that with some of the names of this position later. But as far as Altuve goes, uh, if he's healthy, he, he's one of your safer players at, at every category. You know, in the game, there might be a little bit of a dip in power, but even if he drops down to 15 to 18 home runs, that there's, there's just a lot going on there. Brett, the home run to fly ball rate for Altuve is basically doubled. The last two seasons went from 7% in 2014 to 15%, and then 24% last year. Have we seen the maybe the best from Altuve from a power standpoint? How much better do you think it can get, if at all? I don't. I don't think it can get any better, and I don't. I don't think anyone's necessarily expecting it to get better. I. I would be. Um, I would be surprised if he hit more than twenty-four home runs, uh, ever. Um, you know, he's not. He. He's not the kind of person who's going to grow into thirty home run power. I mean, the guy. He's. He's five foot four. Um, <laughs> So, you know, it's it's not like uh I mean he he's certainly got a lot of strength for his size. Um but uh but I, I think the home run jump is uh it was was really fun for twenty sixteen. But, you know, I think uh, I, I think if you're expecting more than fifteen homers from him this year, I think that's uh, that's a mistake. Are you concerned at all about the stolen bases? Because his stolen base success rate really dropped off in the second half, and it just seems like expecting 30 steals again with him hitting in the heart of the order might be a bit of a reach, too. Sure. I mean, the steals were never going to... I mean, the, the 56 was the big outlier. I mean, he's been in the 30s each of the you know four years around it, the two years before that and the two years after. So, um yeah, I mean, I think he's a, I think he's a thirty steal guy. I don't see any reason why he can't get back to thirty, even if he's slightly less um, judicious uh, in in his opportunities. But um, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't expect a huge drop off in uh, in stolen bases the way I the way I do in in the power. Yeah, he's a lot like Paul Goldschmidt in terms of we talked about him last week being that five-category guy who no matter what is going to contribute across the board. and That's the type of investment you want to build around at the top of a draft in the first round or, or in an auction. So uh, I'm on board with Altuve being in the five stars. And at the top of the four-star tier is Trey Turner. And I, I think he's interesting because you could have made the case to put him in the five-star tier, but that's obviously projecting <laughs> out a full season. Uh, so, Mike, do you think Trey Turner returns first-round value, and, and where would your sort of auction bid limit be? Because he is going in the first round right now in, of NFBC uh, early drafts. He's going 11th overall. So uh, what's yeah. your take on Turner? I, well, I think he's great, and you know he'll, he'll certainly return, I want to say, early to mid-second-round value. My reluctance with him is is just we've seen this before with with young players who've played half a season. Uh, we saw this with Carlos Correa last year, and you know certainly a very different very different skill sets between the two. And and I'm not comparing them that way, but just comparing them from the standpoint that pitchers are going to adjust, the the book's going to be out on Turner. Uh, the my main concern with him is just that batting average. Uh, I could see him hitting 290. I could see him hitting 300. Asking any hitter to hit 342 two years in a row, you know, outside of someone like Wade Boggs or, or Tony Gwynn in his prime, is asking a lot. So, if that average comes down, everything else comes down with it. My bid on him is probably about 29 and only. And to your point, George, I put this list together. I strongly considered 
pushing Turner into the five star in the end. I left him here because my thinking was, well, he's right on the edge for me. He's close, but I I don't like pushing someone like this. You know, I've seen his ADP as high as like 11, I want to say, or 10 and 10 in a couple leagues. That feels really aggressive to me for for a player that we haven't gotten a full season out of. And I I know what's there. You know, I I know he could steal 40, 45, 50 bases, but I'm really wary of, of paying for something that we haven't seen yet. You know, Brett, we've talked about it a little bit throughout the offseason on this show and in some other spots as well, but is Turner a little bit less risky because it's a 40 stolen base type of profile where, you know, only 14 players stole 30 or more bases last year? So is the fact that a lot of Turner's value is anchored in speed maybe insulate some of that risk in, in taking him this high? I think there are a couple factors that insulate Turner's value a little bit that make him safer than uh, a player like this generally is. One of them is obviously the speed. I mean, if he is healthy, uh, his floor is 40 steals. I mean, he he is a true burner. Um, You know, the other thing is that he is a super fast guy who has Dusty Baker as his manager, which means uh, he's going to hit leadoff unless something really awful happens. And I don't expect anything really awful to happen. So that kind of uh, buoys him in in the run category as well. Uh, And on top of that, I mean, just look at... If you look at what he's done in the minors, he hit 342, he had the 388 BABIP. That's all true. But since in his full season minor league stops, these are his BABIPs in the minors. Uh, 478, 389, 438, 381, and 369. You know, BABIPs are higher in the minors than they are in the majors. We know that. But, um, you know, Turner is, you know, Turner is exactly the kind of hitter who can sustain a 340, 350 BABIP. You know, there aren't too many of them in baseball, but he has the, he has the profile to do that. And even if it's not quite that high, you know, even a 320 or 330 BABIP would, um, you know, with his strikeouts, his strikeout rates less than 20%. I mean, it would, it would put him at, you know, around a 300 clip and, uh, you know, as, as much as I wouldn't feel, I don't want to be betting on him hitting 300. Um, I I'd probably be more comfortable, uh, projecting in the 280 285 range just because i think his strikeout rate might tick up a little bit as hitters adjust to him a little bit more and and realize that he's not going to take a walk um but there there is a lot of area for floor um you know we haven't talked about the power i don't think the power is uh, is is this good? Uh, and I, I don't really think anybody does. The people who are taking him in the first round, I don't think are expecting him to. They're not looking at his stats and going, "Oh, I could prorate that out to 28 home runs." Uh, no one's expecting him to, to hit 28 home runs. I don't think he'll hit 20. Um, I think I think fif- I think 15 to 18 is realistic over a full season. But I mean, even if that, even if all that happens, and you and you go on the low side of all of that, you're talking about a guy who. Uh, I think can hit 280 with 40 steals and 15 homers and probably score 100 runs, even if he only gets on base about 32, 33 percent of the time. And that is that is a legit, you know, third, you know, slash late second round pick, even even in uh, you know even without the shortstop eligibility right off the bat, which he will get, you know what a week or two into the season. Right. So yeah, he's, he's not as risky as people think, but there's still not enough, not enough there for me to take him where he's going right now. Yeah. You brought up a really good point about the power. You know, he had 13 home runs and like 325 plate appearances. And he had that infamous quote, like people tell me to hit the ball on the ground. And I tell him to shut up. I mean, you know, he's going to try and swing for the fences, but uh, those Babibs are, are real. Uh, and I like that he doesn't strike out too. So Trey Turner definitely, uh, I think, you know, pretty safe first round pick if that's uh, possible. I don't, I don't think there's any way with the speed that he doesn't return that type of value. But you know, just looking at Turner and then some of the rest of the names in this five, uh, four star tier. You know, I, I had to write the state of the position. 
piece on this, and I sort of asked the question, you know, what if we're wrong about expecting second base to be this great again in 2017? Because if you just look at the raw numbers from last year, you know, second baseman hit 585 home runs, and uh, you just had all these weird things happening. Like we've already touched on Altuve and then Turner coming on, but uh, you know, guys like Brian Dozier and, and you know Robinson Cano rebounded, Daniel Murphy, and all these guys just had career years do you think mike that maybe we're looking at and you wrote the tiered rankings which we're talking about you know do you think last year was maybe a bit of an outlier or are we expecting to see the type of increased power production continue at the position well there's a two-part answer to this question so so the first part is powers up across the board and many of these hitters to me are, are legitimate so yes i the, the power should mostly stay around. You know, look at someone like Robinson Cano, uh, Brian Dozier, uh, Daniel Murphy, who are in this tier. I can see them keeping all or most of that power. You know, j- just the other side of this, though, and th- this is really not about second base, but just how it works in general. You know, every year when we, we go into a season, we can't see the regression coming, or, or we can't specifically see where it's coming. I know people hate that word, and, and they get really you know, upset about it and, and they, they think it's an oversimplification. But, you know, honestly, we know, like, you know, of the hitters in this tier, we know that two of them and maybe even three of them are just not going to produce at the same level. Like, if, if I had to make a guess, you know, of the hitters in this tier, Brian Dozier is, is the guy I look at more than anyone else and say, you know what? Could he at 20, you know, is he going to hit like 28 to 30 home runs? Sure. Is he going to hit 42 again? It just seems unlikely that he's going to go on a streak like that. So, yeah, yeah the, the position's strong, and, and I, I see a lot of the value coming back. But we also know that some of these hitters are, are going to slip just because that's what players do. Yeah, so to, to tie it in with, with Dozier, I mean, he had 28 of his 42 home runs last year after the All-Star break. And, you know, just you talked about expecting him to step back a little bit. But um, – for an over/under, would you expect over or under thirty-two homers? I'm going under a little bit with that. Like I said, if if I had to make an educated guess, I'd guess twenty-eight. All right, uh, Brett, I, I'd be interested in your thoughts too on just sort of the the general landscape of the position because we, we we're going to talk a lot about how there's so much depth at it uh, right now. But is there a chance that maybe we're wrong and last year was a weird outlier or? is what happened last year likely to continue with some of these guys? No, I, I think it's going to continue to an extent. I mean, you don't, you kind of look up and down and there's some uh, eligibility issues with some of these guys. You know, Trey Turner's not going to be second base eligible next year. No one will care because he'll be shortstop eligible. Um, but, uh, you know, he'll be there. Matt Carpenter may not be second base eligible again next year. Um and that, that's kind of it. Um, so you're really not going to lose a whole lot at the position going forward. But, uh, you know, that that said, I think that, you know, we, we do the we do these sort of positional views at the beginning of every um, uh, at the beginning of every ranking season where we kind of go through position by position and rank. Uh, rank where we think the strongest to weakest positions are because, you know, obviously we, uh, baseball perspectives, we don't rank players at multiple positions. We rank them at the position that you're most likely to play them at. Um, and, you know, the the tug between second base and third base, I think, was a, a, almost as, as tight as you can get this year. Um, obviously, third base has the advantage of having sort of the the supremely elite tier of, you know, Brian and Machado and Arenado and Donaldson. And it's really, really tough to, um, to put the position as a whole um, over them when there's that kind of firepower at the top. But yeah, I mean, the depth at second base is, is huge. I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of, you know, Middle infield slots are going to be predominantly taken up by second basemen. They usually are anyway, but even even more so this year. And you know there are going to be there are going to be places where you can really wait and feel comfortable waiting uh, to take a second baseman. And know you're going to get someone who's productive. I mean, you go down. We'll get to the 
to the you know two and three star tier and even in shallower leagues i mean there are guys here that are perfectly viable candidates for uh for starting spots and guys you really don't have to think about very much um so yeah you can you can nitpick on the on the top tier but uh not really a whole lot i mean there there are a lot of really strong bats here and we're we're just going to kind of have to get used to it Right, so there's six players that we're talking about in the four-star tier. We've already touched on Trey Turner, uh, a little bit on Brian Dozier. Um, He's going in the third round right now, pretty much identical draft spots as Robinson Cano. And Mike Cano's a guy we talked a lot about liking last year because it looked like he was finally over some of the, um, I don't know if you could call it injury, but he had uh, an illness that he was dealing with, uh, you know, the year before and had a really nice year, career high 39 home runs, 298 uh, batting average, career high 715 plate appearances. It seems like he's the safest investment in this four star tier. Even though he's not going to steal bases, I-, I think he's pretty much a lock to to do everything else for you in the other four categories. Yeah, he of all these players, he's he's the the security deposit box, especially with the power back. And, you know, kind of what we're talking about Doge, you know, even if Cano slips, you know, even if he only hits 28 to 30 home runs, you know, even if he only drives a 90 and, and scores 90, uh, even if he only hits 290, like, you, you just feel like all that stuff is, is going to kind of be there for him. You know, the, the issue you're talking about, he, he had a GI issue and, and that that's something, you know, I know from experience that when, you know, it's just something that's bothering you and, and you're fighting it and you're fighting it and, you can't get past it. It can really affect you like day in and day out. And and once he got the right medication for that, it, it just really turned his season around. And, you know, the, the age, I, it's not alarming to me. It's just something to watch. And, and I did mention this, you know, he, he is getting to the age where players do tend to slip a little bit. Uh, but on the other hand, Cano has been a, a paradigm of durability uh, throughout most of his career. So you, you would just expect him to play, uh, even if the games played did drop off a little bit, you're you're looking at like 145, 150 games out of him based on his history. And once again, Safeco, not a death sentence for left-handed power, right, Brett? It's a it's an above-average power park. Yep. People- we we really need to we really need to get that through our collective heads because it's a little it's a little jarring to say it out loud, but it's true. Safeco is an above-average power park. For right-handers, for left-handers, for everybody. Yep, just uh, something else to keep in mind. Uh, so D. Gordon, I think, is another guy in this tier. I, I, I don't quite know what to make of him because he's still on. You know, if you look at his numbers from last season, he's still still thirty bases. Uh, was suspended for eighty games for PEDs. I don't know whether the batting average is coming back, but I feel like he's still a pretty solid guy. Uh, in terms of speed, that matters in today's game. So, uh, you know, the the fantasy landscape being what it is for Steele. So he's going in the fourth round right now. Brett, what do you make of D. Gordon? Uh, <laughs> just in terms of the batting average and the speed, I guess. Those are the two most important uh, things for him. I mean, I think he's a pretty good value where he's going right now. You know, the, the batting average, I think, is going to come back. I mean, we... we he was never a 330 he was never a 330 hitter he hit 333 in 2015 but you know he hit 289 in 2014 with a perfectly reasonable with with perfectly reasonable underlying stats to back that up so you know expecting him to be somewhere between 280 and 300 i think is you know i think that's within the realm of possibility and and you know in a half a season he stole 30 bases he's not he's not getting He's not getting so old that I don't think we uh, we can't expect him to steal, you know, 50 to 60 bases over the course of a full season. And we know how valuable that is with the dearth of steals out there. So, um, you know, he's also he's not going to hit for any power. He'll he'll score some runs, but he'll drive in literally nothing. Um, so I think he's I, I wouldn't push him up really much, much past there. But, you know, at, at that point, you know, you can kind of you can kind of get your steals and and run. Yeah, these these stolen base guys, it seems like they always return a profit at least these last couple of seasons. So to get a guy like that in the 4th round who you can bank, you know, 50 to 60 steals. 
uh, I think that's great. And anything else you get is, is kind of gravy. And, and Mike, another guy who I can't look away from, from the, the ADP right now because it's so low and I don't understand it. Uh, DJ LeMahieu for Colorado, you know, he's going in the sixth round right now, which is uh, the 88th pick on average. So that's actually 10th at the position. I don't understand why he's going so late. Is it just the the, the batting title and, and the BABIB people are just scared off by it? Because I don't see a compelling reason to, to drop him down that far. It, it's it's because of what I said before. Well, some of it is is the batting average and the BABIP, but some of it is that he's, you know, what, 11 home runs, 11 steals last year. So a lot of that value is, is wrapped up in his batting average. And, and people get afraid of that now because, you know, I pointed this out, you know, if you look at his splits the last three years, much better at, at cores than he is on the road. But I always like to point this out to people who use that as a negative. You know, th- those games count like this. This isn't a formula like Tiav or, or Wobo where it's weighted because of cores. So th- there's no penalty for LeMahieu because he plays in cores. And, and he's a guy I look at in batting average. He's always going to have that factor. You know, if you're in a shallow mixed league, you know, yeah, you, you want to have somebody to caddy him for those road games because th- there's a penalty for that. But in a 15-team mixed, in an only, I I would agree that he's somewhat undervalued. I, I want to be a little bit careful about saying going too far the other way because you do miss out on some of those stats. Like, it, it'd be great if, you know, he either was guaranteed to steal 20, and I know he did that like a couple years ago, or hit 20 home runs, but he's just not that player and the thing that people need to accept if if you're you know playing with him in this tier is that's fine like it's perfectly acceptable to go out and get a Lemayu as opposed to you know someone we'll discuss in the next tier like an Ian Kinsler it's like yeah you know Ian Kinsler hit a bunch of home runs last year but based on where he is in his age profile and some other things with him you know the the staff kind of agreed and and I think I agree the more I look at it that Lemayu is is a somewhat better bet for fantasy Yep. So the last member of the four-star tier will round things out. Uh, Brett, Daniel Murphy, last year he was apparently bitten by a radioactive spider during the playoffs, and that carried over into uh, his start with the Nationals. He hit uh, three forty-seven. He posted the second-highest true average in the major leagues behind only Mike Trout, had 25 home runs. He had never hit more than 14 in a single season. Uh, in his first six years, most of those with the Mets. Um, so what are your expectations for Murphy in 2017? Because um, it seems like uh, it's pretty legitimate, and after doing it for a full year, I mean, if you just watched his at-bats, I mean, he, he was great last year. Yeah, he absolutely is legitimate, and and started before the playoffs in 2015. I mean, there have been a lot. I, 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 I don't even... I, I can't even narrow it down to one to recommend, but there have been a lot of really good articles written about him working with Kevin Long and all the all the all, all the stuff that they uh, that they worked on with his swing in order to get him to tap into to tap into that power. And you know, it's it's really uh, he's really run with it. And you know, I I think the power that he showed last year is completely legit. I don't I don't think he'll step back from that. I think the uh, the batting average is probably a little unsustainable, but you know you're not expecting anybody to hit 347 again. So it, could he be a 310 hitter with 25 home runs again? Absolutely, he could. Um, you know, there's always risk that he's going to you know fall back on old habits and uh, and and kind of kind of wiggle back into into the the old Daniel Murphy but you know I don't see any great reason uh to predict that happening um and I, I think I think people should should be buying him with with pretty with pretty strong confidence all right so that does it for the four star tier let's move on to the three star where there are five players um I think the most notable one is Rugnet Odor who's I know it's early and we're talking a lot about uh, ADP, but he's going inside the top 40 picks right now. He's going in the third round uh, of NFBC drafts, and I just think that's uh, extremely aggressive. Uh, but is it warranted? I'll ask you, Mike Gianella, because Odor had the distinction of being the first player be uh, in his age 22 season to hit 30-plus home runs at second base. That's never happened before. 
Yeah, it, it, it's it's a little aggressive for me where he's being picked. Like, and and he's somebody you know to let our, our listeners know he was considered for that four star. I, I it, it, these star rankings are are kind of rough, like in terms of the bid limits. Like, so Odor's bid limit is about twenty four or twenty five, and an only for me, and, and that puts him right on the cusp. So you could have made a case for him in the other tier. Uh, I. I'm fine with him, you know. I'm kind of fine with him more in a 15-team league at the end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth, which, which is like, you know, 60 or you know, high 50s. I, I'm I'm not wary of Odor. I I just want to. I, I don't trust that power that much to to necessarily see him hit those 33 home runs. Like he's someone I'm seeing as more of a like a 25 home run guy or somewhere in there. You know, the other piece of it with him is is the batting average. You know, we, we talked a lot in the last year about. You know how much value like Lemayu and you know Brett talked about with Murphy. You know I don't know if you mentioned the average Brett, but you know Murphy that that's a big you know piece for him. It's a big piece for Altuve. You know looking at the batted ball profile for Odor, I I can see him hitting 270 again. I just don't see a lot of elevation in that average. I don't see him going up, but I see some downside there. So you know if Odor slips and he's like a 250 hitter, even with some of that other goodness that he gives you in home runs and he gives you in steals. I can just foresee enough of a drop off that I don't want to be taking him, you know, with, with a forty pick overall. He also never walks. He had a two ninety six on base percentage uh, with nineteen walks yeah. last year, well, which is like insanely. Well, low. yeah, and that, that's something. You know, it's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, that that's just something I, I can foresee. You know, pitchers. You know kind of exposing that or trying to expose that a little bit more and you know I, I know he's a decent bad ball hitter looking at his bad ball profile but he, he's not a Vlad Guerrero he's not one of those guys who's a great bad ball hitter where you know if you look at his heat map he's hitting things he's not like you know, Pablo pl- Sandoval <laughs> or, or Alfonso Soriano is prime right he's not one of those players where you know that profile's so good you're like yeah it doesn't matter where they pitch him I, I I think there's still some work that pitchers can do to play with that a little bit and again this is a knocking odor this is more saying that that average is, is a risk enough because of what you mentioned what I mentioned I'm a little reluctant to push him as high as I've seen him going in in early drafts Brett are you taking Rudnet Odor this high I don't think so but you tell me no I'm not um I'm not, I, you know, it's similar to Mike. I'm not, I'm not really down on him per se, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm not taking him that high. All right, let's move on to Ian Kinsler. He's going to be 35 this season, but you wouldn't know it uh, because he was nearly a six-win player last year. Hit 20 home runs for the first time since 2011. Uh, he struck out a ton, but um, you know, he he hit for a bunch of power. Still hit 288, 14 steals, over 100 runs, 83 RBI. Ian Kinsler still really good, and this you know speaks to the depth at the position. Brett, are you expecting Kinsler to just continue what he's done the last couple of years, or is there maybe a little bit more concern as he uh, creeps up there in age? Um, I mean, there's always there's always concern with aging second baseman, especially one that uh, one that will turn 35 during the course of 2017. Um, but you know, I mean, he he clearly had a plan. I mean, he started he started selling out some of his contact for power, and it you know it really worked. He had 28 home runs combined between 2014 and 2015, and then he matched that in 2016 alone. Um, you know, he's in a really strong lineup. Uh, he is you know for all of the talk of him being injury prone earlier in his career. I mean, he's. Uh, he's played at least a hundred. He's played at least a hundred and fifty, hundred hundred fifty three games in five of the last six seasons. So he's uh, he's become quite durable, um, and he still steals bases, which is which is an underrated aspect of his uh, uh, production. And you know we talk about we talk about the big steal guys being you know, more valuable because of the landscape of stolen bases. But don't forget that the players who are the sneaky 10 to 15 steel guys are also really valuable in this landscape if they're, you know, obviously if they're doing other things. So, uh, you know, even if Kinsler is, you know, 
if he keeps a similar batting average, but he goes back to being fifteen to you know fifteen to twenty home runs, um, being able to steal double digit bases is going to really uh, really keep him as a, uh, a top ten second baseman re- regardless, and uh, really should make you feel a bit confident in uh, in drafting him. That's a really great point, and Kinsler's going in the sixth round right now. Uh, Jason Kipnis, Mike, is going in the seventh round. He had 15 home runs in two seasons combined from 2014 to 2015, but uh, hit 23 last year. He's another guy who's a pretty intriguing power-speed combo, kind of in the prime of his career. He'll turn 30 this year. So um, Kipnis, another guy uh, who's pretty good in this three-star tier. Not a lot of weaknesses there. Give me the guy that you think is the most interesting for fantasy owners to go after uh, for the season. Um, I think uh, I'd laugh because I think Mike knows who who I'm going to pick here. Um, I'm going to take Julius Gurriel. Um, you know, I I think uh, I, he is he is going late, and I think he's going to continue to go late. Um, but we're talking about the best hitter uh from cuba of of this generation that that includes uh that includes you on that includes jose abreu um now guriel is already in his 30s and is just now going to be adjusting to major league pitching so you know it it might not play out how uh how it should have played out if he had come over when he was uh the age of either of those two other guys um but you know, Guriel is an an extreme contact hitter. He doesn't strike out. Um, I believe in his last uh, season in Cuba, he had 48 walks and three strikeouts. Now, there are there are a lot of you know stats to be had in 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 Cuba, and and you know that's not really uh, indicative of much, but it's it's indicative of an approach, and. You know, Guriel, I think, can find his way into hitting 300. I think with the short porch there, I think he could. I think he could challenge for 20 home runs. He doesn't have you know enormous power, uh, but he's also athletic enough to steal a couple bases. So I think there's, I think there is a, I think there is a lot to like there. And you know, I I I think that there is, you know, at least a at least a reasonable chance that he could do something similar to, you know, sort of a baseline Adrian Beltre season, not like not Adrian Beltre from 2016, but sort of a more of a baseline in the, you know, power in the power in the low, in the low twenties, but high batting average, high RBI total season. You don't have to sell me on Gurriel. I I like him a lot too uh, for this year. And I think considering where he's going to go because he didn't have a monster debut when he did come up last year, I think you're going to be able to get him pretty cheap this year. Uh, Mike, who's the guy for you in this tier that you like more than maybe the consensus or that you know you circle on your sheet going into a draft? Well, more than the consensus is Mike Moustakis, who, who was my pick. Uh, but but I want to talk a little bit, You know, even though I think he's ranked appropriately, I, I want to talk a little bit about Jose Ramirez. Uh, <laughs> yes. There was... Yeah, you know, just I I feel like he's a guy people are going to look at and you know say he's a fluke that he's got a slip. But I, I think it was Alex, right, right, guys, who Alex Chamberlain who made the case for him in the in the picks this week. He did, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was a really good case. And it it's not that I was anti Ramirez, but it kind of solidified me on him and made me want to push him up a little bit on my rankings. Uh, I I believe in the skills. Uh, you know, great contact hitter. I, I do believe that average is going to drop in it. But this is some of the point that Alex made, which is, you know, if Ramirez drops, you're still looking at 8 to 10 home runs. You're still looking at 20 steals. You're still looking at a 280, 290 average. And that's going to come in a really good lineup, which means lots of runs, lots of runs batted in. Uh, very good player in real life. You know, we, we kind of talked about Frazier being overrated. You know, Ramirez, you know, again, not so much with the ADP because he, he's being drafted uh, just inside the top 100, so that that ADP is appropriate. But people, some people are going to look at him in some leagues and go, "Yeah, you know, I, I don't believe in him, or I don't want to pay for those steals or that average." 
you're just getting a player in Ramirez who close to a five category guy just outside of the home runs and and the speed you know we'll talk about this more as we go on in the series that speed is underrated you know getting 20 steals from any position is big yeah like at a fundamental level making contact is the most important skill a batter can have he struck out only 11 percent of the time last year so he's a guy who's hitting a ton of line drives and the one interesting stat which I wrote in the state of the position for Ramirez uh, was last year he was one of five hitters with a 300 average 10 plus home runs and 20 steals the other guys were Altuve Betts Trout Turner Trey Turner and Segura so he's in pretty elite company and even if like you talked about like you know and Alex talked about in his piece if even if he comes back to the field a little bit in terms of average uh, or power you know those steals are enough to make him a pretty valuable option at third uh, the guy I'll take and I, I just want to mention him briefly because we haven't uh, yet is Alex Bregman I really you know we talked a lot about Houston's lineup it's going to be really good this year um, especially if Curiel does what what Brett envisions you know Bregman's going to hit second there he started his major league career just really atrocious it was like a two for 38 stretch um, but even when he was struggling, you know, he was still hitting the ball hard, uh, wasn't striking out a ton. So a- after that rough stretch, he hit 311 the rest of the season. So I think he's a guy who um, added a lot of power in the minor leagues, and we talked about this a lot last year. But he's got the potential to challenge for 20 home runs. He can run a little bit. Um, and I think the batting average is going to be decent. And, and I really like him from accounting stats perspective and runs in rbis he's gonna bat second in that astros lineup but um do you guys like bregman as well because i feel like he's getting valued pretty fairly in drafts he's not getting run up into the fourth or fifth round or anything like that i think he's a decent kind of speculative upside guy in the middle rounds for me yeah i you know i i agree with that i mean the the question with bregman is is i think just how much power he's gonna have i think uh you know, he was he was sort of always built as sort of a teens power guy, and that built as he was in the minors. If he's a twenty plus power guy, I think there's a there's a lot of potential for him to return profit. I think the, you know, I think the batting average is going to uh, is going to throw some people off because of that uh, aforementioned um, super cold streak to start. But it was it was absurd. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but he was hitting the ball really hard. It was just really strange. Yeah. Uh, but he's, you know, he's he's a pretty good bet to at two ninety uh, in that in that range. So, um, but yeah, the the batting average is uh, is is going to be there. The, the power clicks. He's you know, he's going to be a nice value. Who else? Is there anybody else in this tier that you guys want to discuss or? I don't like Michael Franco is interesting. I'm trying to see if we got any Twitter questions on anybody, but um, is there anyone else that's interesting here? Or um, I mean, the, the, there's a few there's a few names, but really between the articles and what we've done oh. in the series, we, we've kind of covered just about everybody. Yeah, uh, we got one question from Christopher Austin. He wants to know if Mustakis can follow up that 2015 breakout this year is there any more ceiling for Mustakis? and mike you, you profiled him as the value in this tier so do you envision Mustakis kind of uh, building off what he did before he got hurt last year i mean toward the acl in may not really building off of it my my proposition on him is that the power is legitimate and you know if you look at him over his last 162 games you know great he's not going to play 162 games but if you look at him over the course of a calendar year you know when you take that injury out you know, he's like a 27 home run guy, and and that that's kind of the proposition is is that I don't think he'll get better, but the injury sort of masks what he is, which is a guy who can hit 25 home runs, you know, hit 260, 270. I I don't see him improving much off of that, but I don't see him losing that either. All right, let's move to the two-star tier. There are nine players here, speaking of depth at the position, but a lot of these guys are more relevant in only leagues than mixed leagues. But, Brett, I'll start with you. Who is the most interesting? I mean, I, I think it's Miguel Sano, but uh, who to you stands out in this tier? It's it's clearly Miguel Sano. <laughs> um, I mean, there was a... There was a really interesting back and forth among the uh, among the staff about whether he should be, uh, you know, sort of the the leader of the two star tier or, or in the three star tier. Um, 
I think I'm probably more uh, optimistic on Sano than than most of the staff, but I think there's you know there's certainly there's certainly risk and a lot of the same arguments you can make against Todd Frazier you can make against Miguel Sano and you know Sano won't even steal some bases to boot but um, the thing about Sano is that I don't think he's I don't think he's resigned to being a you know 30 mid 30 percent strikeout rate guy um, you know he he was he, he never struck out at a 30 percent clip in the minors his his strikeout rates got better as he spent more time in in levels uh, you know he he adjusts reasonably well you know last year was last year he only got uh, 116 games in it was kind of a weird season because they were going to play him in the outfield and then they were like oh wait he's Miguel Sano he can't play the outfield <laughs> and uh, it just kind of put the season on a on a poor note um and he is exactly the kind of player that that can carry a huge babbit because he makes such extreme contact when he when he does. But um, you know, I think that uh, I, I think that you know he's. I, I think there's a lot of room for upside. There's just you know clearly room for downside as well. So it's a it's a risky pick. Yeah, I think the positional. Uh, change is a legitimate thing that it it does mess with guys and i we i talked with mike berardino who covers the twins uh for the saint paul pioneer press and in the preseason for the effectively wild team previews and he talked about it like sano is not a great fit in the outfield like he was struggling in spring training there and when you're focusing on that area of your game you're focusing less on at the plate and everything else so i, I think there is some validity to that to that point um Mike, who in this tier do you like? Hmm. Well, <laughs> and well, if, well, I mean, given that I was, well, I, let me I ask you a question about Sano. Sano. Well, let me ask okay. you about Sano real quickly. Um, do you think we're expecting him to maybe finish above the two star tier? But which is more likely that he finishes as a three star guy or a four star guy this year if he really I, maxes say, out? I'd say a three star. I, I do agree with Brett. And, you know, again, I, I initially had Sano as a three star, and it, w- it was the staff discussion that, that led me to, to put him at the top of the two star. The the four star, because of that average, which which I do agree with Brett, it, is he could hit higher than 236, but I don't see him, you know, hitting, you know, 280 or 290, and I don't see the speed. You know, it just makes it tough to envision him as a four star. He'd really have to break out this year and and hit, you know, forty forty five home runs. Could he do that? I, I mean, he has the talent to do it. It's just right. not a bet I'd make. Yeah. Um, the, the guy in this tier, well, there's a couple of guys in this tier, but I, I'm going to go with with the guy we have at the bottom of the tier and Hernan Perez, who uh, honestly kind of fluky in some ways, but it, it's really difficult to, to look at those numbers and what he did, and particularly in the short time span that he did it, and not at the very least be intrigued. Now, you know, again, you know, we're, we're talking about deeper or, or mono leagues. I, I like a player like Perez as a late pick in, in a deeper mix or a reserve pick in, in a standard mix, and, and you just kind of look at him like, well, if he's a fluke, it's a reserve pick or, or it's a back-end pick. It's, it's no big deal. But if, if he does even some of that, you know, you're, you're looking at a player who, you know, even if he doesn't hit for power again, he just had so much speed and he brought so much to the table. It, it, it's kind of it's kind of difficult to ignore that, you know. And, and again, just speed is is such an important thing to have in a fantasy league. You know, the danger with him, of course, is, is and I mentioned this in the piece, the, the Brewers lineup is really stacked. And, and, you know, Brett, you were just talking about switching positions. It's even tougher than switching positions is kind of taking on that super utility role. As a young player, it, it, it's not something you can just kind of ease into. Um, so that's where I'd be concerned with him. Yep, Perez was one of 14 guys last year with 30-plus steals. So, you you want well, to get guys like this late in your draft? And he did a lot. Of, he did a lot of that in the second half too. You know, he, he right. just you know suddenly just kind of picked. Like at one point, he wasn't even ownable really, or his borderline in NL only. And then all of a sudden, he he just was. You know, he went gangbusters. Yeah, that lineup's interesting. I, I don't I don't think Travis Shaw is an everyday player. 
I really don't. I think he's more of a platoon guy. So I think there is going to be an opportunity at third for him to at least get um, at bats against right-handed pitching there. Or, or excuse me, against lefties at least. Um, I want to ask you, Mike, about Ryan Healy because we got a question on Twitter from Greg uh, Faccini. He wants to know what Ryan Healy's upside is. I mean, I see him as sort of like a power-only kind of guy. I don't really buy the batting average from him, but... Uh, what do you see as Ryan Healy's upside for 2017? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I see 20 upside is probably 25 home runs with a with a 270 average. Uh, I, I don't buy the batting average either. On, on the other hand, I do I do believe he's a legitimate player. I, I don't see him as as a complete fluke. Uh, some of, some of what he did last year to me at least was legitimate. So. Yeah, that that's that's a ceiling for me. I wouldn't wouldn't pay for that average, but assuming he plays and and he and he and Trevor Plouffe both look look like they will play. Um, so yeah, if, he, if he's starting, that that's realistic. Yeah, like or that, at least I should say that that's just the high end for him in terms of realistic. Right, like that twenty five home run sounds great, but there are literally a hundred other guys in fantasy baseball who are going to hit twenty plus well, home runs. So it's like, yeah, I mean, limited he's upside it, well, there. If it's well, that's why he's only. in the two star. That's why he's in the two star tier. Right. Okay, um, Mike. Let's uh, talk about Jung Ho Gong real quick. Um, do you, how do you even approach this situation? Because there's a chance um, he might be suspended. We don't really know about his his off the field legal issues. How those are going to resolve themselves. So how would you be approaching him in terms of bidding on him this year in an auction? Very carefully. Um, <laughs> you, you know he well. I, We've we've seen this situation. You know, we don't like to comment on on domestic violence and and what have you. But this is even more complicated because it was a DUI in another country, and apparently or allegedly, you know, we, we want to be careful here with this because the legal situation was a hit and run. So I, I don't really know. You know, I, I remarked this to I think it was Rob Silver who had asked about this on Twitter. Yeah. You know, I, unless you're a Korean legal expert, it, it's really difficult to guess what's going to happen or if he'll even be, you know, permitted a, a work visa to, to come into the country. So I, in terms of talent and what he can do, you know, he, he's a three star guy and, and he's one of the str- stronger three star guys. I just don't like the idea of paying. You know, we, we kind of saw this with Jose Reyes last year. There, there were a lot of people and I, I was in this group, too, where I, I was like, yeah. Jose Reyes will be fine. You know, he'll be suspended for, you know, 50 games and, and the Rockies will let him come back and, and he'll he'll start and he'll play, you know, 100 games. You know, we saw what happened. You know, Reyes was, was cut and then he had to, you know, go back to extend his spring training. And, and then he was a part-timer at first with the Mets. So mm-hmm. we just don't really know. You know, we don't really know what's going to happen with Gong. And I, I don't want to bet too aggressively on a player that I might get half a season out of. Yeah, Gong's also a guy who's had some injury problems in his two seasons in the States. So I think already you're expecting him to miss time. But if he's forced to miss, you know, guaranteed to miss time with a suspension or anything like that, I, I think that only hurts his at-bats even more. What would you project for play? I know we don't, we don't like to speculate, but what would you reasonably project for him at this point? In, like In terms of like games played? or Oh, just played appearances. Would you go like over under like 300? I mean... Yeah, three hundred was the number I was thinking. So I, I, if I had to take a number, I, I'd guess the under. All right, that's fair. I, I think you want to be risk adverse in these situations because we just don't we don't know what's gonna happen. No. Um, anybody else in this tier? I mean, like Jerickson Profar stands out um, because he's Jerickson Profar. Um, we a lot need of these Brett. Guys we need Brett to talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> is Brett back yet? No. All right. Well, we, like all we have left is the one star value picks. So, um, do is there literally anybody else you want to talk about here? Like Martin in the two stars here. Like Martin oh, Prado Pr- and NL only is good. Yeah, and, Pr- and an NL only is really good because you you can bank on that average and those runs and those runs batted in and in a mix it's like eh. <laughs> you know, you, in a mix, you you want the you know unless you're talking about a two thirty hitter you you want that you want that power in the slot. And the one one star is really limited. So if we're if we're doing our value pick, we're gonna have to like either fight over these guys or or go off the board. Well, I mean, you know who I'm going with. I know who Brett's going with too. Do you want me to spoil it? I know who he's going. Yeah, with. Yeah, sure. He's gonna go with Sandoval. You know it. Yeah, you you got you, you know Brett and and Ben Carsley <laughs> and and there was somebody else. You know, everybody's kind of fascinated with Sandoval. You know what what 
What I'll what I'll say about Sandoval. He looks good. Well, he does. But but what I'll point out, there, there's a couple things about Sandoval, which is there was one year with the Giants where he didn't look this good, but but he was in pretty good shape and he came in and people were excited, mm. and it didn't do anything for his production. Like it didn't make him a better hitter, you know, it just kept him on the field more. Yeah, and better. that's and that's kind of the other point about Sandoval, which is he he's a hitter who he's had he had one year with the Giants where he had a bunch of home runs, but otherwise kind of a 15 20 home run guy with a decent batting average and, and now granted in, in the current power context maybe that translates and in Fenway maybe that translates to 25 home runs but but I I, I think people are looking at him and, and thinking wow you know he's he's gonna go off the charts oh no he no. could, he, no. he could. I, what, what I see is more if, if the if the Red Sox get 120 decent games out of him with the rest of that lineup they'll probably be happy but for fantasy is there a bargain at this price? Yeah, but but it's, I don't think it's as high as some people think. Like I don't think you can. I'm not expecting him to be like a superstar or anything like that. The upside is like really limited. Like the ceiling is not that high. It's it's you know, twenty right. home run cap power. He's gonna hit for a decent batting average, and if the counting stats are there, like that's not a bad play given where he's going in a draft. Well, like he's, a, oh, he's 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 fine. Yeah, in like a deeper mixed league, if he's like my corner infield guy or a bench guy, like. I, he's gonna play every day. Like you're gonna be able to use him at times. Um, I think. No, he, and he has he has more upside, you know, than a lot of the guys who like you know Chase Headley, Adonis Garcia. There, there's a number of players below this line that weren't right. you know in the top thirty. That I, I you know if you're gar- they're guaranteed to play every day. I'd rather have Sandoval. I agree. Brett is back. Brett, we just wrapped up the two star tier, so we're moving on to the one star tier. We just had a brief Pablo Sandoval discussion because we knew it wasn't that brief. Well, we know we know you're gonna pick him, so you get to lead off the one star tier. Tell us about Sounds Pablo. Good. Tell us about Panda. He looks great. He looks fantastic on Twitter. Like all these photos, it's amazing. He does. He looks very svelte. <laughs> um, I am going to. Uh, I, I'm gonna take Pablo Sandoval. I I think that you know. I I think there's a, at least probably a twenty five to. 35% chance that he's just done as a fantasy player. Um, but, you know, he is really not that far removed from being a, uh, a very productive third baseman. And, you know, I think the, I think the whole weight thing is really overblown, even though he, he does look awfully good in pictures now. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was a really good hitter when he was, when he was quite uh, round and uh, you know, he historically has been, worse when he's been skinnier but you know if it's if it's a matter of keeping himself healthy and uh and and keeping himself uh engaged a little bit more then uh then then I'm I'm all for that but you know I I, I think there is I I think there's a, a reasonable chance at a you know a, a a little bit of a renaissance here with uh with a, a return in batting average maybe 15 homers or so but I I'd, I'd rather I'd probably rather chance it on Sandoval than uh, than grab one of these uh, grab one of these other guys, whether it's because of uh, whether it's because of playing time concerns or or just uh, age. But. Yep, uh, Mike, who are you taking for your one star value pick? Um, I'll stick with who I went in within the article and and just talk a little bit about Jose Reyes. Um, you know, so so Reyes in, in half a season last year, you know, came came close to ten home runs. He came close to ten steals. Uh, he, he's also behind David Wright, who I have absolutely no faith. You know, we're talking about Sandoval, maybe never being a force again. You you could probably put a higher percentage on David Wright given all his injuries, which is kind of sad because you know he he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory for a while. Uh, you know, Reyes himself has an injury profile, but. You know whether it's it's as a super utility guy or as the primary third baseman, uh, there's a legitimate chance here. You know, at ten home runs, fifteen steals, an average that won't kill you, and you know that kind of production at this level is really useful. And you know he he's in a lineup. You, know, you look at the Mets. The Mets lineup there. There's some injury questions there overall, but it, but it's a surprisingly good lineup, and one of the better lineups they've they've run out there in, in a few years. So, yeah, it, it's Reyes for me, particularly in this tier. So if you listen to Flags Fly Forever at all over the last two years that I've been on this show and is that I like Danny Valencia a lot more than I should. Um, I just think he's a fascinating player. 
I've given up the hope now. He's thirty. He's going to be 32 this year. Um, I've kind of given up the hope that he can be an everyday guy, not because I don't think he has the talent to do it. I think he does. I just think teams are now not going to be willing to give him that chance anymore. Uh, it's clear in Seattle that they're going to platoon him with Vogelbach at first base. That's the plan. They beefed up their outfield. Well, I shouldn't say. They, they actually did the opposite. They slimmed down their outfield. They added some defenders out there for once uh, with guys like Dyson, Hanniger, Gamel. So Valencia is going to platoon at first base. And unless Dan Vogelbach's not, not hitting at all, which I think he will hit, uh, he's not going to get every day at bats there for them. So... The one thing we know Danny Valencia can do is hit lefties. Uh, last year, hit three eighteen uh, with a five thirty five slugging percentage, seven home runs, and one hundred fifty plate appearances off southpaws. So, if he can do some version of that, I think he's the perfect guy to go get in a league where you can do daily lineup changes, or if you know there's a week where they're gonna face like three or four southpaw starters. You can definitely use a guy like Danny Valencia. I think he has legitimate value. There's obviously a cap to the ceiling based on playing time uh, in terms of what he can produce for you, but this is a guy at the end of the draft. He's going outside the top 300 in terms of ADP right now, I believe. So uh, you can get him in a 15-team league past the 20th round. This is the perfect kind of guy I want on my bench. There's there's no superstar ceiling, but we've talked about it a lot. Just getting solid production that you can bank and – Valencia is that kind of guy. I, I want to own that. So, once again, uh, Danny Valencia, I've jumped on the train. Mike, <laughs> am I crazy to like Danny Valencia this much? No, you you sold me on Valencia somewhat last year, and you know Vogelbach certainly isn't automatic to right. you know to produce or stay in the majors. No, I, I, Vogelbach will be fine. But it could be a situation where it's not even a strict platoon and Valencia plays a little bit against right hitters. That was the other thing about Valencia. You know, pre, prior to last year, prior to the adjustment he made heading into last year that we talked about on the show last, you know, a year ago, mm-hmm. he couldn't hit righties. He, he was a, a lefty masher who should be on the bench. He, he was acceptable or average last year against right-handers. And that's the thing I kind of like about him is if there's an injury or – if Vogelbach doesn't produce, he, he could be a sneaky 400, 450 at-bat guy. And we know he can hit for power. And, you know, Brett mentioned this earlier. You know, Safeco is, is not the graveyard for hitters that it once was. Yeah, I mean, Valencia last year got 500 plate appearances. I mean, so it wasn't like he didn't play. He had 17 home runs. But things did not end well in Oakland. I think there's a pretty well-documented uh, yeah. uh, incident there. And, and there's a reason, you know, maybe that he's played for so many teams. Uh, you know, he's not a guy, I think, at this age that you're going to give an everyday opportunity to. It's it's very rare to see a guy in their early 30s just blossom into an everyday guy. It's really rare. But I think if, like you said, the opportunity arises, Valencia's a guy who can hit righties a little bit. Um, he's not strictly a lefty masher guy. I, I think if the, the, the opportunity were there, he'd be able to somewhat take advantage of that. I hope you enjoyed episode 200 of Flags Fly Forever, a baseball prospectus podcast, as different as it did sound. As I said earlier in the intro, let's give you a look at the next couple of show week here on the program. Next week, there's also going to be a special program. It's going to be called episode 200A. And we've got some special stuff coming up for that as well. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want you to be surprised, but we've got a couple things that I think you're going to enjoy. The week after that, it's going to be Independence Day on July 4th. The episode would normally drop on the 5th which is right after the holiday. So we're going to go ahead and tell you that was going to be an off week. So no show on July 5th. However, the week after that, July 12th, Mike, John, and myself will be back with new content. We're going to bring you all of that you need to get ready for the MLB trade deadline, as you get ready for the end of the regular season in fantasy, as we move to the playoffs. So July 12th, we'll be back with brand new content here on Flags Fly Forever. That said, for myself, Samuel Hale, thank you for tuning in this week to episode 200, and we'll see you next week right here for episode 200A of Flags fly forever.
brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.